Hello, I'm Dina Kraft. And I'm Sally Abed. Sally is a Palestinian activist in Israel. Dina is a Jewish-Israeli journalist. And this is Groundwork. A podcast about Palestinians and Jews refusing to accept the status quo and working together for change. Our show is powered by the New Israel Fund and the Alliance for Middle East Peace. This is our third episode of our mini-series on mixed cities. If you haven't heard the first two, go check them out. In each episode, we've been talking with activists in these mixed cities about what it's actually like to live there, what led to the inter-ethnic fighting in May, and what's next. Today we're focusing on the port city of Haifa, Israel's third largest city. It's nestled between the slopes of Mount Carmel and the Mediterranean Sea. The majority of its 280,000 residents are Jewish, and approximately 18% are Palestinian. We've chosen this as our final stop in the mini-series, because Haifa is known as the most integrated city in Israel. And in many ways, it is. It has a growing Palestinian middle class, a mix of Hebrew and Arabic can be heard on the streets and in the cafes. There's a vibrant multicultural art scene. There's even a flagship event celebrating Arab and Jewish partnership, the annual Festival of Festivals, which celebrates Hanukkah, Christmas, and Ramadan, and brings thousands to the city each year. Haifa is the poster child for coexistence in Israel. So it was particularly shocking to see what happened in May. There were arson attacks, stones thrown into homes and cars by both Jews and Arabs, and cases of police brutality. Despite that, much of the news focused on cities like Lod or Akko, where the violence was worse and where people died. Relatively little has been reported on what happened in Haifa. So today, we're talking with longtime Haifa residents and activists Jafar Farah and Mirav Ben-Nun to get their take on what's been going on. Jafar Farah lives in a primarily Arab neighborhood of Haifa called Wadi Nisnes. It's where some of the recent violence took place. He's the founder and director of Musawa, an organization that promotes equality for Palestinian citizens of Israel. And Mirav Ben-Nun is a founder of the bilingual Arabic and Hebrew hand-in-hand school in Haifa, and a longtime civil rights activist in the city. This is episode three, Haifa. Tell us a little bit about your family and your connection to Haifa. I am a combination of father from Haifa and mother from Elabun. Her story is story of a girl that had been evacuated in 48 with her family to Lebanon and they became refugees and they came back later on. And from the side of my father, he they stayed in Haifa, they just blocked the building where they uh, and they hurt them themselves for almost two weeks and uh, they opened the doors after that and they find Haifa empty. You are raised uh, with the stories from your si- mother's side and from your father's side. For me it's part of my identity. It's not only national identity but also social identity. Can you tell us Merav your family story and connections to Haifa? So my family story, I also have my mom who um, was born a month after her parents came to Israel, after the Holocaust. So my grandmother um, was pregnant on the boat and talks about the lights of Haifa. It was 1950, so they came into Haifa's port and she always referenced the lights of Haifa as something that she saw that kept her um, hopeful as they came in on the boat. You saw the lights of Haifa from the sea? From the sea. From You saw that? I've seen, yeah. It's amazing. When you are up north and you look at Haifa, it gives you hope, right? 
My dad's family, both of his parents, um, came to Haifa in the 30s, so before the Holocaust, from Poland. Um, and my, my dad was actually born, born in Haifa. Um, unfortunately, when I grew up, I knew one part of Haifa only. I only knew the Carmel Mountain. I only knew people who looked like me. And then later, when I was in the Hebrew University, yeah, you know, I, I realized that, you know, people sitting next to me that are Arabs, I had never met. And I was like, how, how could it possibly be that we live, I live in Haifa, which is supposed to be this mixed city, and I've, I've never had a conversation with, you know, an equal Arab woman like myself. Um, so all of this, you know, brought me to realize how one-sided I'd grown up or one-dimensional. Haifa, for, for Palestinians in general here, um, as well as everywhere, really, uh, you know, uh, refugees, Haifa is like this romantic, aching story. I, I think there's a very strong connection to Haifa. It's, uh, it's something that people really long to. It's something that people really want to see. How is the experience of being from Haifa and living here? How did that change from being, you know, from your childhood to now? How do you see, how did it evolve? Jews and Arabs used to live in Haifa before 48. And part of the strength of the relationship of, of Jews and Arabs, it's related to what happened in the 30s and the, uh, and the 40s. It started already uh, in the trade unions and hospitals and etc. And it went on. My late uncle uh, was activist already in the railway trade unions already in the 30s and 40s. And yes, there was a separation, but people also worked together. And, and suddenly everything collapsed in 48. 1948 was a turning point. Before then, the city was almost evenly mixed between Arabs and Jews. And as Shafar was saying, Haifa was a hub of multiculturalism. Unique ties were forged between Jewish and Palestinians of all classes, from port workers to leadership and intelligentsia. But in the 1948 war, Palestinians fled with hopes to return after the violence ended. Historians say Haifa's Jews wanted their Palestinian neighbors to return too, but the new Israeli government decided otherwise. After the war, the Palestinian population dwindled from 35,000 to just some 4,000. A lot of the, um, you know, you want to say things that we were kept from us, that we were blind to, but also we were lied about. I mean, the lies we were told growing up. Like what lies? The lies we were told. I mean, I can, I can tell this story when I went, because I'm very aware and I don't want to tell the same lies to my own kids. I went with my, um, he's now 13, but he was, I don't know, in fourth grade on a trip around Haifa that they took them from school called Shichur Haifa, Liberation of Haifa. And they took them through the neighborhoods, the fascinating neighborhoods of Haifa. But the story that they were told is that the Jews came and they were liberating Haifa. Like that is the frame of this tour, whole day tour that they gave kids in fourth grade, and you know, and they pin, pinpointed from this house the Arabs shot at the Jewish settlers and the Jews who came to liberate Haifa. I also said this in my son's tour. Um, I was yelled at by the guides. I was yelled at by my friend who heads the tour and sends these tours out because, you know, everyone in Haifa knows each other. So I said, how is it possible that you're telling our kids these lies? 
The Arabs who were shooting were protecting their homes. They were living there forever and ever. It took me a lot of time, you know, many years to realize how bold, how, um, you know, one-sided these lies are. But the interesting thing that, that after 48, there was no military regime on Haifa, on the Arab citizens of Haifa. So it was actually a place where the Arab citizens felt more free to act politically. And that's why Samih al-Qasim and uh, Emil Habibi and Tufiq uh, Toubi, all these political leaders that have been uh, uh, later on led the Arab community, the Palestinians in general, like Mahmoud Darwish, the national writer of the Palestinians in general, have been in Haifa. Uh, these people start to not only to uh, build the national uh, institutions of the Arab community, but also to outreach to the Jewish community and to try to cooperate with the Jewish community. But the interesting part was, and, and this is most people also, a lot of Arabs don't know, that they start to get Jewish immigrants and locate them in the Arab houses also in Wadi Nisnas. So there is a lot of, in the 50s and the 60s, many families just live together. They have been forced in the beginning. And they start to live together. Uh, this just uh, There is empty room. The, the, the army used to bring Jewish family and to put it with, with Arab family. So Wadi Nisnas today is 90% Arab community because all the Jewish citizens that have been located in the 50s in Wadi Nisnas, they make some money and they left the neighborhood. The city has become more segregated since then. But there's also been an influx of young Palestinian Israelis moving here to study at the University of Haifa. About 40% of the university is made up of Palestinian students, and many stay after graduating. Politically active and outspoken, they've created a dynamic new cultural scene of their own in the city. Some of them were at the protests in May, speaking out against the violence. Can you talk about what exactly happened in Haifa? Because there's been so much attention in other, other parts of the country, but what happened here specifically in the streets? Terrible police violence against uh, people, against the Arab citizens. Undercover police came to the neighborhood and it became really ugly. You know, uh, guns have been uh, used by the police and and uh, gas and and etc. We have two cases of people that lost their eyes. Two kids. Uh, one is a girl that actually she she is a Palestinian that study in in Jewish school, and there is also a young guy that both of them they, they lost their eyes during uh, police violence. Unlike in other mixed cities, much of the violence in Haifa was police violence. Palestinian protesters had gone to the streets in solidarity with Palestinian families in the Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, who were facing expulsion from their homes, and also protesting against the Israeli storming of Al-Aqsa Mosque. According to eyewitness accounts and verified videos, these protests were mostly nonviolent. However, the police used stun grenades. In some cases, physically attacked protesters and made arrests. Every night we went to the police station with 20, 25 people that had been arrested. All of them, of course, Arab young people. Every night, for a week. More than 120 people have been arrested in that week. Jaffa, you know what my neighbors, my Jewish neighbors would say, who are, you know... My next door neighbors who know what I've done and know, you know, I'm, I'm like always, oh, so what are you saying now about your Arab friends and what do you have to say now? And I, I always say, you know, there's, there's injustice, 
my Arab friends feel that they have no protection. There's no police protection. The police isn't protecting them. It's not doing its job. And they're like, no, if they've been arrested, they must have done something. And if they were arrested and taken by the police, they were probably demonstrating violently. And, and you know, and it's so difficult to explain to even, you know, our neighbors who... share this idea that Haifa is, you know, a city of coexistence and it's that one place in the country where Jews and Arabs, you know, have friendships and sit together and watch the games or whatever we're doing together as neighbors. Even, you know, every um, Israeli-Jewish mainstream person would say, okay, they've been arrested, but there's a reason they've been arrested and the police is doing that to protect them. So how does it... My, my son was arrested. They came Thursday noon. with eight people undercover and etc. Immediately they uh, released uh, order to ban meeting with a lawyer. Uh, they took him to the Secret Service in Jalami. They brought him day after we appealed against this ban order. The Nasi, the president of the uh, district court, allowed them to ban him to meet with a, a lawyer. So he they stayed him, in arrest? They, he stayed Uh, they took him to Jalami, from Haifa to Jalami. From Jalami, they moved him to Petah Tikva. They investigated him in the Secret Service with, you know, uh, banning him to meet a lawyer and etc. 48 hours, at six in the evening on Saturday, they called us and they said, your son is in Petah Tikva, come and pick him up away. Nothing. There is nothing just to... Uh, Intimidate. Me. Yeah. You know, you feel in certain point that, uh, you know, I was arrested also with my son in 2018. And you feel guilty in certain point. As a parent, we feel guilty. You know, for this, to be politically active in a city and to be target of the police and the secret service, and then your son's is target. My small son was arrested. He was attacked in the police station. I was arrested. I was attacked. My leg was broken in front of him in the police station. And then... People come and say, it's the city of coexistence. Come on, guys. In 2018, after attending a Gaza solidarity demonstration in Haifa, Jaffer was arrested and beaten by a policeman who broke his knee. The policeman was later indicted. They can come whenever they want to your home to uh, threaten your daughter and to take your son and for 48 hours to tell him that we will rape your mother, we will rape your sister. That's what they told him? Yeah, of course. And we will broke the other leg of your father. And then just to release him in the front of Petah Tikva, not in Haifa, you know, it's like 100 kilometers from Haifa. And nothing, there is no case against him. So tell your neighbor, you know, maybe they should uh, meet my son uh, that have been just terrified for 48 hours to try to prevent us from being politically active. On what? We are people that are active on living together and partnership. And we are, we are not the people that are calling the Jews to, to leave the... We are calling for living together, and still we are uh, uh, threatened, arrested, beaten. And this is something that in certain point you say, you know what? We are tired from all this. Jaffer, first of all, how, how old is your son? Which one? The one that was arrested in... This one is 21. This one's 21. Wow. And the small one is 19, and he was 17. He was, uh, you know, almost 18 when he was arrested in 2018. It's the utter lack of control. 
and I think they want us to experience that, just like not having any kind of control over our lives. And, and that's, it's a terrifying feeling. No right. Also as right. a parent and also as a citizen. We saw in Haifa in the last 10 years, police that is involved in violence against demonstrations and extreme right-wing groups that are targeting mixed cities. After the evacuation of the settlers from Gaza Strip, the settlers' organizations took a decision to target the mixed cities. And Haifa was target, Lud was target for them, uh, Yafa, of course, and we saw the escalation also in the last uh, May. This past May, there were attempts by Israeli right-wing activists from outside of Haifa to inflame the situation. Marking Arab homes, hurling rocks toward the houses, and walking through downtown streets shouting death to Arabs. Right, because what they had, I mean, the story was that they had marked the Arab houses by yellow X's. Oh, similar in Lodinia. Right, and and this to me, of course, you know, brought back such terrible, you know, associations of, of, of such horrible times. And again, Arab citizens had to, you know, step out and say, you know, we, we're here not to be attacked. We're here to protect our, our houses and our neighborhoods. The police just protect the fascist groups attacking the Arab citizens. We really talked about this in Lud as well, uh, you know, what, what we called the Gar'in Turanim. Yeah. And it's something that is happening also in Haifa. Um, um, there was actually uh, an incident of uh, this uh, public uh, letter that uh, the Gar'in Turanim in Haifa wrote. And they were like, listen, we won our struggle. We won our fight. In the West Bank, we already have enough hold of the territory there. We won. That's it. There's no more two-state solution. So come to Haifa. We need your help in Haifa. It's a target. Today, Haifa is a target. And we have responsibility as, as activists to protect the Arab community, but also to prevent any case of somebody that will be killed. I, I can't be proud of myself and, and of many people that were in the night standing uh, in between neighborhoods and try to convince also young people and the police to leave and, and not to confront that we should be proud of the fact that we have been a civil society and we prevented people to be killed in Haifa. And now it's very important not to, be in a, not to live in illusion. When you hear that, you know, Haifa, mixed city, a place where people live and work together, what do you think? Do you think that's a lie? Do you think it does happen compared to other places? Like, how would you assess that description of Haifa as like the capital of coexistence? We don't have coexistence in the way that this brand uh, sounds. Everybody know Beta Gefe and also uh, in the national level as a place that used to be to promote coexistence. It's the place actually that brought this whole uh, illusion of coexistence that have been promoted. Uh, tell us what Beta Gefe is. Beta Gefe, it, yeah. it's, it's oh. one of the institutions in Haifa. It was actually the, the first institution that have been built in Haifa already in the 50s and the 60s to promote coexistence between Jews and Arabs. We call it uh, the Jewish Center for Arab Affairs much more than... Uh, Why? We don't feel that we own this place. Even the only public Arab library is run by Beta Gefe. We can't run in Haifa, uh, uh, the Arab library. But, but that is very symbolic of the traditional Arab-Jewish partnership, isn't it? No, I think... Uh, Just like Jewish solidarity towards Arab, and it's not really an equal partnership. That's big, Jewish solidarity. Come on, that wasn't the case in Haifa. It's much more uh, paternalism. It's like we know better than but you. So that wasn't the case, you know, like uh, 
if uh, you know as a kid i used to hate to go to beta gefen because it's it's really it's the juice to tell you what to do it's not place where you feel partner i went and looked for schools that were or for programs that did peace education and i realized that the most substantial program was what's happening in hand in hand schools i was aware of this idea of integrated as opposed to segregated And the idea that, you know, schooling in Israel is segregated, you know, we just accept it without calling into question even the idea that separate can't be equal, which is so basic when you grow up in America. Of course, it's, you know, there's lots of segregation still, but separate can't be equal. So if separate can't be equal, obviously, you know, funding and and better schools are for the Jewish community and less for the Arab community. And how could this, you know, how could this not be called into question? Even in Haifa, the schools are mostly segregated. So when it came time for Marav's kids to go to school, she helped to create her own branch of the hand-in-hand school, where Palestinian and Jewish citizens study together, learning in both Hebrew and Arabic. We're celebrating 10 years next year, our integrated school, and it's grown to In, it's huge, 300 families. Um, we go from six months and our oldest, our oldest cohort, the one that started in 2012, is now going into sixth grade. Um, but the whole thing has been a struggle, unfortunately. Um, we're still waiting for the city to decide to give us our own space. Every year we ask to open two first grades, two classes in a cohort, and we haven't been successful in that. Yad Biyad actually is is an amazing initiative with, because it's it's community initiative. How raw are the feelings in, in Haifa right now about May? What is happening in terms of rebuilding or starting from scratch in terms of Jewish-Palestinian relationships in the city? As an educator, you have to believe that whatever you're doing right now is going to make a difference for future generations and there is a way to impact. But at the same time, I feel very pessimistic. When I was in Belfast in 2006, and I saw the violence that happened there on the streets between the two communities, the Protestant and um, the Catholic, to me, it was like, this is what Israel can come to. We haven't been there yet. Um, you know, the violence stayed for us in Haifa, living in Haifa and within sort of what we call the green line. It's been, you know, only across, once you cross the green line, it's been there, but it hasn't been in our streets. And But in May, it was in the streets. Exactly. So when I was there in 2006, I said to myself, and ever since, I've said to myself, you know, this is how it can come to. It can come to the place where Jews will, you know, fire or throw bombs at what's called an Arab bar and our Arab coffee spot, our Arab cultural center, and the opposite. Like, this is what we need to be working to avoid. This was back in 2006. I think what we saw happening in the mixed cities Um, this past May was coming towards it, I feel like, you know, we haven't seen the worst of it yet, which is why, you know, I want to continue working with Jaffa and everyone in Haifa that we can to create um, institutions, to create groups of people who at the moment when this escalates, when, you know, the violence returns, will have a way of acting together to stop it, to again, succeed in, in not having someone being shot either by the police or by each of the um, 
communities, like keeping us safe and keeping, you know, the fact that we're, we haven't been killed and we're not killing, um, also Turin Haifa. And, and change for you, Jeffer? Like, what, what do you think, as we sort of sum up here, like, what, what, how has your activism changed by what happened just now? You're talking about people being more aware of protecting themselves, but in terms of actually activism on the ground to prevent the next time, h- how is your activism changing? How is, how, 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 how is the community's activism changing? Or what do you think needs to happen next to heal, to make it better? There, there is two levels. One... Uh, Related to our young generation that went out to the streets, I saw this time many people that uh, don't see any hope, and you need to give them some hope and 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 help them to direct their anger in a way that it will not target Jews, but it will target the system. Okay, and in the other side, uh, I I think uh, you know. Outreaching to different Jewish communities and not to the same usual suspects is very important. During the unrest in May, young Palestinian residents in the Wadi Nisnas neighborhood gave out flowers to passing cars in a bid to restore the sense of good neighborliness. Painted signs appeared on walls with the word peace written in Arabic and Hebrew. Just recently, some Jewish and Palestinian residents have come together to hear each other's stories of what happened and what they personally witnessed during the violence in May. Is it fair to say that May, the events of May as a wake-up call, the people feel the urgency now, where they may have felt more complacent to join hands? Unfortunately, I don't think it got enough. Like, the country, or even, you know, again, the people who are disconnected from the Arab community in Haifa, I don't think they realize what the Arab community here experienced. I don't think it was talked about by mainstream media enough. This idea that, you know, stones, and I saw, I went to visit in my own eyes, rocks were thrown into windows of Arab homes and they were marked and children went to sleep hearing, you know, these chants of death to Arabs. It was, the the mainstream media didn't talk about it. We, the Arabs, feel more agents. We, the Arabs, we feel. I don't think that... uh, uh, this feeling that people felt personal, uh, they, they, are, they are personally attacked by police or by extreme right wing. This is something that uh, have, have, haven't been felt. When we have been attacked, for example, here in the Carmel, it was you know, people that have been activists. But uh, this time, uh, everybody have been targeted. Every Arab citizen have been targeted suddenly. And this, you know, uh, part of the collective trauma now of Arabs in Haifa. We are a strong community, and I think that we are the potential to, to become the game changers of all the political game. If each one Arab citizen will convince one Jewish citizen to change this whole vision of this whole isolation of the Jews from the Middle East, we can get different scenario than the scenario of separation. It resonates because I feel like, you know, what I have always the vision I've had just for the society I want to live in is a society that, you know, citizens have equal rights no matter what their background, race, language, nationality is. The multiculturalism that we have in Haifa that is part of 
the DNA of Haifa, whether it's the Jewish-Arab relations from before 1948. And now with the incoming communities, the Russian community, the Ethiopian community, the multiculturalism is the benefit in allowing ourselves to learn the other languages and living within it. It can't be hierarchical, meaning we have to have equality, we have to have an equal sense of belonging and an equal sense of possibility to impact. In Haifa, at least, I think there's potential to build this more just society. Groundwork is created and produced by me, Dina Kraft, and Yoshi Fields. The episode was edited by Yoshi Fields. If you found what you just heard meaningful, if you think these conversations are important, we need your help in spreading the word. We depend on you to make these stories. So make sure to subscribe, rate us, and tell your friends. Shukran al Muteba. The show is powered by the New Israel Fund and the Alliance for Middle East Peace. New Israel Fund is the premier funder and organizer of progressive Israeli civil society, with over $300 million from tens of thousands of people to hundreds of organizations working for change on the ground for over 40 years. The Alliance for Middle East Peace is the largest and fastest growing network of Palestinian and Israeli peace builders. You can learn more about them at their websites, nif.org and allmap.org. And you can learn more about our show there or at groundworkpodcast.com. This episode was scored by Joel Shupak. Our theme music is by System Ali, a multilingual bi-national hip-hop group whose cultural activity is deeply rooted in the communities where they work. Additional music comes from Blue Dot Sessions. The activists you heard from in this episode were Jafar Farah and Marav Ben-Nun. This episode was recorded by the Doc Recording Studio. Editing help by Elisheva Goldberg and Hannah Bark. Make sure to subscribe, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.